Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. And we are going to continue our series. Uh, we've been going through the book of Mark for quite some time now, several months. And we've titled this series, Jesus the Servant King. And we've looked at Jesus who came to serve and not be served. To give his life as a ransom for many, as I've noted, is that is the key verse in the Gospel of Mark. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, we, we see Jesus pouring out his life to serve people. And particularly, he gravitates towards the marginalized. He gravitates towards the broken, towards the outcast, towards those that society has uh, marginalized. And he heals the sick. He delivers the demon oppressed. He sets those who are captive to sin. He, he sets them free. And so we see King Jesus serving humanity by bringing deliverance and salvation. And that's exactly what he came to do. Last week we, we talked about God's design for marriage. We looked at how some religious leaders tried to test Jesus and asked Jesus if it was permissible, uh, to divorce, for a man to divorce his wife. And we talked about God's design for marriage. Jesus responded by, by bringing them back to what Moses had taught in Genesis of God's design for marriage being a lifelong commitment and union between a man and a woman. And Mark transitions from that conversation, that teaching, into a scene with children involved and children, uh, parents trying to bring their children to Jesus. And his disciples get in the way. They, they didn't, they didn't like that. Um, for some reason, and, and we'll talk about that here shortly in just a moment. Um, but it's a natural flow from going into, from, from talking about marriage to going into our relationship towards children and how we're to view children and how we are to receive children. And I've titled this message, Receiving Children. Receiving Children. Uh, go ahead and turn to Mark 10, verse 13, and we'll look at this text. Last week I pointed out in talking about marriage, how it's God's design that marriage, that, that children come forth through the intimacy of a husband and a wife in marriage. And it's the context a marriage with a with a man and a woman, a, a, a dad and a mom, is the context. A loving home with a dad and a mom is the context in which children flourish in. Okay, it's the context that God has designed for children to have and to grow up and, and mature and flourish in. And here we see Jesus's heart towards children in verse three. It says they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the heart of Jesus that we see expressed here in this passage? His heart towards children. Here's our big idea. The loving welcome and humility that Jesus expressed towards children is to characterize those who belong to the kingdom of God. The loving welcome and humility that Jesus expressed towards children is to characterize those who belong to the kingdom of God. Here we see the king of kings walking the earth. Okay? And he has some really important tasks to accomplish while he's here. Like saving the world by dying on the cross. Right? Like, like global importance. Universal importance. He, he was healing the sick and raising the dead and training up some disciples, teaching them so that they can carry on his ministry and so that the church would, would grow and, and that there would be this global movement. The kingdom of God. And so Jesus was doing some really important stuff, moving towards the cross, moving towards Jerusalem, where he would suffer and die. And there were some parents bringing their kids to Jesus because they wanted their kids to be blessed. They wanted Jesus to bless their kids. And the disciples, for whatever reason, the disciples rebuked either the, the parents or, or whoever it was that was bringing the kids, he rebuked them, whether it was uh, older siblings or parents, the disciples rebuked them, and they were trying to, it seemed like trying to protect Jesus' time. Jesus had been very busy in ministry, doing lots of stuff, and of course the disciples had been with them, and they're just serving people, helping people, and perhaps they're, they're just trying to protect, they're just trying to protect Jesus' time, his important agenda. He has saving world kind of things to be doing, and children don't involve that according to the disciples' perspective. But Jesus gets upset about the response. Now, first of all, let me let me just highlight that these parents are like many parents who just wanted blessing for their children. Okay? They were bringing their children to Jesus. And this was a, this was a common thing in Jewish culture to, to bring children to a respected rabbi that there'd be some kind of blessing conveyed in the Old Testament. We see this concept communicated through, through Isaac blessing Jacob and Jacob blessing Joseph's children. And, and we just, we see this concept of this fatherly blessing that is passed on down to children. And, 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 and we see other places too where children are presented to God in the temple, like with, with Samuel. And, uh, and so these parents are just like many of us here who just want blessing for their children. So they're gonna bring their children to Jesus and the disciples don't like it. They rebuke them for whatever reason. And in this response that Jesus has to the disciples rebuking the parents and those being brought to, to Jesus, seeing the children as an interference or um, as a burden, the disciples did, it appeared. Jesus was indignant. He got angry. 
He got upset. And I think that that points to his love for children. Jesus loves and he welcomes children. He loves and he welcomes children. Okay? Now, in, in the first century, the Roman world didn't value children as, uh, perhaps the Jewish, the, the typical Jewish culture did. And in, in, in the Old Testament, the Bible describes children as a blessing. Psalm 127, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Right? Children are designed, or, uh, they're, they're described in the Bible as a blessing from God. And from the beginning, God wanted mankind to be fruitful and multiply. And children are seen as a, as a blessing, as a gift from God to parents. But in Roman culture, children could be disregarded, easily disregarded if parents didn't want them. If it was the wrong gender, if, if a, Parents wanted a boy and they got a girl. Or if there was a, a child that had some kind of defect. The Roman world, they could just discard their children by putting them in the trash pile. And, and, and let them die or let someone else come and take those children. And what would happen often is they would either be raised up as a gladiator, a prostitute, or a slave. And just terrible things would happen to children in those days. And so here in this passage, we see Jesus' heart for children, His value of children, and how He welcomes them, how He affirms them as legitimate persons. Legitimate persons who are made in the image of God, worthy of attention. Worthy of affection. Worthy of affirmation. He sees them as people that are valuable. Now, we don't know exactly why the disciples acted the way that they did. Perhaps they were just protecting Jesus' time. Or perhaps they didn't have the value that Jesus has for children. Perhaps they were in close proximity to Jesus but far in priority. Perhaps they, they, they were still disconnected from Jesus' heart. Because Jesus gets angry about hindering the children to be brought to Him to be blessed. Because He loves them. James Edwards says this, that the object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about the person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, vulnerable, and powerless. So we see Jesus get angry. And this, this highlights, one, his humanity, but also it highlights that, that, you, that Jesus was, he was angry in all purity. There was nothing unrighteous or sinful about his anger. It was appropriate for him in certain situations to get angry. And most of the time, when we see anger in people, sinfulness is connected to it. James says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But it's possible to have an anger in you and there not be sin. Okay? And Jesus had this, this anger and it was connected to his love and his care for these children. He was probably angry because 
because there was this blockage, there was this barrier of his love and blessing getting to these little people. And the disciples were contributing to that hindrance. And Jesus says, don't, don't hinder them. Okay? Now, Jesus had already taught his disciples some lessons about this. If you can remember just a few weeks back, we looked at Mark chapter 9 verse 35. When the disciples were arguing about who's greatest in the kingdom, these guys were being knuckleheads. They, uh, this was, this highlights how they missed some gospel truth that they needed to apply to the relationships and their view of themselves. And so as they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus sat down and he called the twelve. He's like, alright guys, come on, let, let's, let's talk. And he said to them, if, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms. And he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so Jesus had already taught his disciples the importance of receiving Little children. Okay? Because Jesus is saying, like, you're doing that to me when you're, when you're receiving that child, the way that you're treating that child. Okay? Uh, John Piper says this, he says, one thing to watch for when assessing a person's spiritual fitness for ministry is how he or she relates to children. Put a child in the room and watch. This is what Jesus did to make his point. Children are the litmus paper to expose the presence of pride. Children are the litmus paper to expose the presence of pride. And so here in these situations, we see the, the, the disciples lack of bearing Jesus' heart. A lack of aligning with Jesus' heart for children, for the marginalized, for those who, who, that, that are typically overlooked and undervalued. This is why I've, I've said uh, before that I think it's great to start ministry and children's ministry. You know, if, if, if you think you're, if, if you think children's ministry is below you <laughs> and you have bigger and greater things to do in the kingdom of God, then I would check, I would examine your heart to see whether there's some pride there. Now, I know not everybody's called to children's ministry, and we don't want everybody uh, working in children's ministry necessarily, but I, I think that this is a great way to be faithful in the kingdom of God is to just serve children, and not just at children's church, not just serving at church, but whenever you're in proximity of children, taking time out to recognize them as people. I mean, how many adults, even in the church, just totally look over children and don't take the time to look a child in their eyes, ask them their name, learn their name, and ask them some questions about their life. Jesus, the King of Kings, took time for these little people. And he says the kingdom of God belongs to them. Okay? And so we see the heart of Jesus, and here at City Church, we want to know Jesus. We want to know His heart. We want to align ourselves with His heart. Also, we see 
in this passage that we must welcome and lead children to Jesus. Jesus not only got angry, but also he instructed his disciples and he said, Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. By the way, I think there's a good side note for parents here. Um, when, when you see something in your children that's amiss, that's off, and it irritates you, perhaps, perhaps it's something that God wants you to graciously instruct them in and teach them about rather than neglect and let it become a bigger and a bigger issue until it snowballs. Right? Oftentimes I think those things that we see in our children, parents, that irritate us are areas that God wants us to invest teaching and training in. To try to teach them the ways of God. So that they don't hurt themselves and others. So Jesus was indignant and he said, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them. So if Jesus lovingly welcomes children, so should we. Because that's his heart. But also, he says, let them come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't get in the way of them coming to me. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, some theologians would point to that particular phrase, for such belongs the kingdom of God, as the the basis, one of the strongest texts for the basis of children, infants who die, that they believe go to heaven. Um, now, I believe that as well, that children, infants who die, do go to be with Jesus. But I, I wouldn't say that that's the, the primary text for that. Uh, the Bible's not super clear about that particular issue, uh, but David in, in the Old Testament des- describes when his baby died, he described him going to his baby. That's probably a stronger text that I would, would point to particularly. And theologians have said that there's, there's an age of accountability. There's a, there's a time, uh, when each child becomes accountable for their decisions. But nevertheless, we see in this passage that we must welcome children and lead them to Jesus. Don't get in the way. Don't get in the way of children coming to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. And this is especially uh, applicable to parents. Because we are called to teach and train our children. We are called to model the Christian life for our children. To teach them by our actions, but to teach them also with our words. So, he said, let them come to me. Alexander McLaren said this, that the end of all training and care is that they should, by voluntarily act, draw near to him. So here's where we're going. We want our kids to get to the point where they voluntarily act and draw near to Jesus. Where we're not, it's not because we're telling them and they feel it's a duty and obligation to seek God but because they want to, because they're hungry for God. He goes on, and he uh, applies that, do not hinder them. He says, here's some, some ways. He says, do not hinder by the presentation of the gospel in such a repellent form, either harshly dogmatic or sour. So as we teach our children, he's saying don't hinder them by being harshly dogmatic or sour in our teaching them of the gospel of Jesus. 
Don't, don't be so heavy upon them and harsh to them as you're talking about the things of God that they, that they're repelled of the good news of the gospel because of how it's being communicated in harsh tones and impatience and unkind, and unkindness. He said, do not hinder them by requirement of such piety as is unnatural for a child. In other words, don't, don't expect so much on a little child, your child who has maybe, is, is wanting to follow Jesus or has made a profession of Jesus. Like, don't expect them to be an adult. Right? When, when they're, when they're a child. Give them space to be kids. But children do have the capacity, amazingly, to receive spiritual things and learn spiritual truths. And oftentimes, way more than we realize. They're absorbing way more than we realize through our words and through our actions, through our attitudes. He says, do not hinder by inconsistencies. This is a warning for Christian parents in particular. Don't hinder your children, parents, by saying one thing about God, but then living a whole other way, saying you value church and go in the church, but you rarely go to church and take your kids to church. Or you value the Bible, uh, and, and you're encouraging them to read the Bible, but you're never reading the Bible, and you're never seeking God. And th- those kinds of inconsistencies. Or... Telling them that you, you, you gotta forgive, but you're holding a grudge towards someone else and, and bitterness towards someone else. Don't hinder them by inconsistencies. And one of the things that we can all be consistent in, parents, is repentance. We can consistently, consistently acknowledge when we've blown it. Acknowledge when we've sinned and we can model for them Consistent repentance, ongoing repentance. Uh, a, a pastor friend of mine that I that I respect, he said that's one of the greatest examples that his dad left him as a legacy uh, was his example of repentance. And his his example of repentance was before crowds of people, respected people. And he would repent one-on-one, but he would also repent publicly. And don't hinder them by neglect. Despise not these little ones. And so we too must love little children and lead them to Jesus. And Jesus also uses this as an example again to teach about the kingdom of God and to teach how those who belong to the kingdom are to live. You see... We've, as parents, we've been entrusted with the responsibility of training and teaching and shaping our children. But at the same time, parents, as we're training and teaching them, God is teaching us and shaping and training and disciplining us as well. And God wants to teach us. He, God wants to work through us, not just to teach our children, but God wants to work through our children to teach us how we ought to live. Namely, in humble dependence. We must receive the kingdom like a child. Jesus says this in verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
So he's using this again as a teaching lesson. He, Jesus likes to do this. He likes to take a child and teach a lesson from a child. Learn from these children. We, you must receive the kingdom like a child. Okay? Children have this humble dependence. And this points, this points to the gracious nature of the kingdom of God. The gracious nature of salvation. The, the gracious nature of God and how salvation is a free gift of grace. It's not something to be achieved or earned or worked for. Salvation is something to be received by faith. And children are experts at receiving gifts, as Sally Lloyd-Jones says. Jesus taught this in Matthew 18, verse 2 through 5. He says, In calling a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. And so again, Jesus is teaching, if we're, if we're going to make it to heaven, we need a humble dependence upon God, not upon ourselves and our own righteousness. And the gospel confronts religious pride. The gospel confronts legalism. The gospel confronts those who think that they have what it takes to merit salvation by being smart enough, intellectual righteousness, by being disciplined enough, disciplined righteousness, by being available enough, relational righteousness. The gospel confronts self-righteousness and all sorts of false righteousnesses that don't make us right before God. You see, in, in Luke's gospel, this is interesting that, that in three of the gospels, this particular story of Jesus teaching his disciples not to, to hinder the children, but let them come to me. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is recorded in all three gospels. So this is important. This is an important thing that the Holy Spirit, important truth that the Holy Spirit wants us to get. And there's other teachings along these lines that are very similar to it. Even like John in John's gospel, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of God. You won't see the kingdom of God. You won't enter the kingdom of God. And that points to the gracious nature of salvation. Because who has made themselves born, who caused their own birth. Salvation is a gift from God, a work of God. And our part is to humbly receive it in faith like a child. Receive what God has done. At some point, many of us, we start learning some things. We start achieving some things. We experience some success and some recognition and some honor in some areas. And we start thinking that we know some things. Maybe even we know better than what the Bible says. We start leaning on our own understanding, rather trusting in God with all of our heart. 
And over and over, God calls us, and I, I've experienced this over and over again, where I just have to come back to God as a child. I'm a son. Before I'm a pastor, I'm a child of God. Before I'm a husband, I'm a child of God that's loved by God. Before I'm a dad, I'm a child of God who's loved by God, and God is my daddy, and I need him. And though I have responsibility to lead others, and though I have responsibility to have some answers about the Bible and about life and wisdom and what do I do in this crazy situation, I need God just as much as everyone else needs God. Right? And so one of the indicators that we are starting to think more like an adult who has it all figured out is we start taking on the weight of the world as if we got to do it ourselves. We become anxious and toil and stay up real late and wake up real early and we work ourselves to the bone because we think we got to make it happen or we got to figure out the answers. And we often live like orphans or we live like, like adults who think they got it figured out. And God calls us to continual dependence upon Him, humble dependence upon Him like little children. I love David's Psalm 131. And the Lord's reminded me of this scripture often, especially when I've found myself delving into matters that are too great for me trying to figure out things that are beyond my comprehension, that I have no business or jurisdiction or responsibility for. David said, My heart is not proud, nor are my eyes lofty, nor do I concern myself with matters too great for me. Surely I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord. And David describes his own humble dependence upon God and his own laying down his burdens, his anxieties, his stresses, and just coming to God like a little child in humble dependence. And Jesus says that we need to live like that. We need to learn from children. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, we tell the children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells adults to model themselves after the children. In what ways are we to model, uh, uh, what ways are children a pattern? In their humble dependence on others, their receptivity, their acceptance of themselves and position in life. A child enjoys much, but can explain very little. Children live by faith. Isn't it true that children know how to receive gifts? And they know how to just enjoy life without having all the answers? And perhaps many of us are experiencing anxiety and, and not enjoying the gift of life because we, we think we gotta figure things out and do it all ourselves rather than trust God as our good, good Father who loves us and He loves giving good gifts to His children. Sally Lloyd-Jones in her Jesus Storybook Bible describes children as people who knew about gift getting. In fact, you might say they were gift experts. And she paraphrases Jesus' words here. No matter how big you grow, never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart full of trust in God. Be like these children. They are the most important in the kingdom. I love how she 
tells the stories of the Bible and paraphrases them. So don't lose your your childlike faith, your dependence upon God. And I'd also add in there, don't lose the wonder, the wonder and the awe of God that that many children tend to have when they see movies or when they see a scenery, uh, creation, or certain things. Like the, sometimes it's the smallest things that that children just have this wonder and awe about. Don't live your life with that. We're wired for that awe and wonder to live our lives in dependence upon God and in awe and wonder of God, our good Father, our Creator. And so don't lose that thinking that you got things all figured out. Another theologian said that the point of comparison is not so much the innocence and the humility of children. It is rather the fact that children are unselfconscious receptive and content to be dependent on others' care and bounty. It is such a spirit that the kingdom must be received. It is the gift of God. It's not an achievement on the part of man. It must be simply accepted inasmuch as it can never be deserved. Walter Riesel said that the kingdom of God is both a gift to be received and a realm to enter. So what is it that hinders people from entering the kingdom of God? What is it that hinders Christians from growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I think that pride is one of our biggest barriers that we have to confront and we have to confess and we have to put to death. Jonathan Edwards said pride is a very obstacle to the, to, to the entering of divine light. Yea, such an obstacle as will eternally prevent it till it be mortified. William Lane said the unchildlike piety of achievement must be abandoned in the recognition that to receive the kingdom is to allow oneself to be given it. We gotta become gift experts. Learn how to receive. Posture ourselves with Humility and dependence upon God. He gives grace to who? To the humble. John Piper said that there's a very close connection between your own humility and your ability to lead children to Jesus. The great hindrance to effective ministry to children is pride and the great gift for ministry to children is humility. So here at City Church, we desire to have a vibrant children's ministry where we're providing space for our children here to learn about Jesus, to get to know Jesus. And it's not our aim, it's not our aim to replace the role of parents in children by, by doing children ministry. We want to come alongside parents. We want to serve parents and children by having a place where our children can be taught the message of Jesus, the gospel, the Bible, in a way that they can understand it, in a way that's palatable to them. And so we see in Scripture that it's the parents' responsibility, primary responsibility, to lead in the home spiritually. There are too many Christians who are 
punting that responsibility to youth pastors and children ministers. And that's not what we're wanting to do. But we, want, we don't want to go to the extreme on the other side and not provide those who are called and gifted and are able to pour into the children that are present here. We want to provide space for that. And we need volunteers. We need those to step up. And if I wasn't preaching on Sunday morning, I would be volunteering to serve in the children's ministry. I've done that for much of my Christian walk. I've served in children's ministry, and I love it. I love it. Now, I know it's not very glamorous at times. It's, it's, it, a lot of times it's, it can be very challenging and frustrating and, and you gotta have lots of patience and it can be a sanctifying experience. But it's worth it. The children are worth it. I read some stats about at ages that people come to the Lord and I was intrigued. I've always been intrigued about how many people come to the Lord in their younger years. And as the ages go up, there's a, there's a, uh, a less likelihood of somebody coming to the Lord, statistically, you know? I mean, how many of you guys came to the Lord before you were 18? Raise your hand, just interested. Okay? How many of y'all came to the Lord as a child? Okay? Well, we want to provide space to where our children can come to the Lord here. And I believe that children as little as five years old or six years old or seven years old, depending on the child, can consciously, can hear the gospel, understand it, that Jesus died for their sins, and that salvation is a free gift to be received. I believe that little children can understand and believe the gospel and become Christians. Right? Now, I know there's lots of, there's lots of young people who made professions of faith when they were little and, and, and maybe, uh, turned away from the Lord or maybe their profession, maybe their experience was <laughs> like one, a friend of mine who I know, uh, he wanted to get baptized because his brother was getting baptized and it was going to be on TV. So there's an indicator there that you're wanting to get baptized and follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. But later on, he genuinely became a Christian. And consciously put his faith in Jesus. And when a child becomes a Christian, when a, when a little child receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they consciously put their faith in Jesus, then the next step is baptism and discipleship and teaching and training those children. One of the, uh, Wayne Grudem has a helpful phrase there when he, he talks about when, when it's time to baptize children. Here at City Church, we don't we don't practice infant baptism. Some would use this text as an argument for infant baptism. You know, bringing children to Jesus, right? Uh, we do have baby dedications where we present children before the Lord and, and, uh, and, and parents commit to training up their children in the ways of the Lord. Um, but Grudem says that, that, that the proper time for a child to get baptized is when they have a believable profession of faith. So as a parent, you, you hear the profession of faith in your child and you're convinced. You're, you believe that they've really accepted and trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, one of the things that I want to do here in the near future is have a baptism class for children, uh, the children that we have here, and talk about some of those those issues. So let me let me just 
close here in some application. A couple points here. One, receive children by giving them your attention, affection, and affirmation. Don't just pass them up and consider them as unimportant, second-class human beings. Give them your attention. Give them your eyes. Give them your affection. Jesus took the children in his arms and he blessed them. Okay? So he touched them. He took them in his arms and it implies there was a fervency there. With all of the busyness of Jesus' world-saving ministry, he had time to pause and love on some little children that were brought to him. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we should, we should do the same. We should be willing to stop and pause. And of course, we should start with our own children, right? If we have children. But engage children, encourage children, teach children. Give them affection. Give them affirmation. Give them attention. They need this. They need this to flourish. And you can be the conduit of God's love and grace and truth to them rather than being a hindrance to them and acting as if they're below spiritual things. Next, receive like children with open hands of humility and trust. Learn learn from children. Learn the way that they receive from mom and dad. The way that they're dependent and they're just helpless. See yourself like that before God and just come before daddy. Approach him in prayer. Approach the Bible like that. Instead of approaching it like you have all the answers or you think you know what it all means, approach with this this posture of, Father, would you teach me today? Would you explain this to me? Would you help me understand this? Would you open my eyes to see wonderful things in your word, in your law? Jesus celebrated this truth in, in Matthew chapter 11. And I think uh, Luke as well. After his disciples came back from a, a, a mission trip and they were preaching and uh, there were people who the, the, the kingdom made an impact and there were people who rejected the message. There were people who were receptive to the message and the messengers that he sent. But he rejoiced and he said these words in, in Matthew 11. He said, Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, those who consider themselves wise and understanding. But you've revealed them to the childlike. You've revealed them to babes. I love that about God. Jesus delighted in that aspect of the Father. And Jesus walked in it himself. He, he gives spiritual sight to those who are childlike, to those who come with a humble dependence. Lastly, teach your children God's ways. Teach them God's ways. In Deuteronomy 6, we're commanded with these words, I command you these, uh, command you today. Right after, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by your way, by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. 
And so diligently, parents, let's commit to teach our children the ways of God, to diligently teach them, to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, to to lead them to Jesus, to, to model for Jesus love, to let them see us loving God, expressing devotion to God, and then bringing them along with us and pointing them to loving God. And pointing them to God's love for them. Some of the old hymns that we would sing. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Or how about Jesus loves me this I know. I mean think, just, just, if you, when you think of that song, and you think that song is too below you to sing, then that might be an indicator of pride in your life. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but... He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So, Father... May that sink in. May the the barriers of pride and any other barriers be removed. Barriers from us receiving your love for us and barriers that would keep us from being conduits of your love to others, especially to children especially to the little people that you've placed around us. Give us your heart. And Lord, we we pray for every parent, each one of us who are parents and have been entrusted with the responsibility and privilege of leading and loving our children. Guide us, give us wisdom, God. We acknowledge that we fail in so many areas and that we're weak but your grace is sufficient your grace and strength is made perfect in our weakness and so help us to be consistent as parents loving and leading our children help us to walk humbly before you help us to live by faith, to keep childlike faith and not lean on our own understanding. Deliver us from self-righteousness and every false righteousness that we tend to trust in. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. 
May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace.